<sighs> Jen, I have a new computer. You must be Lightning, <laughs> Lightning McQueen. So fast. <laughs> It's so, so fast. Are you like flirting with danger and having like another app open while you record? I have like four apps open. It's amazing. Including like the new Scrivener, which means nothing to you, but like to writers. Well, I've like been hesitating to upgrade to the new Scrivener because my old laptop was so garbage. Yeah. And now my new laptop is very fast. That's so nice. I made Eric buy for me and I was like... I mean, I paid for it. He didn't have to pay for it, but um, I, made, I made him buy it for me. And I was like, I want it to be the perfect laptop for podcasting. And he was like, okay. <laughs> so you guys, this episode oh. is like extra great. It's because I have a new, I have a new podcast. It's because, I have a new yeah. laptop. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Faded Mates, everybody. Welcome. <laughs> welcome. Welcome. It's Jen and me. Here we are. Here we are. In our houses. I don't even know what day it is. I keep thinking it's... 924. Yeah. It's day 28, but it's for me. Uh, But I keep thinking it's like Sunday and it's actually Friday because every day feels like Sunday now. I straight up called it Saturday at some point today and don't... I mean, it's also Easter weekend, so I think it's extra quiet because people are... Right. Would or A lot of people would have ordinarily taken today off, I think. It's Friday. So happy, happy Passover to those of you who celebrate Passover. We hope you had a great Seder. Um, and uh, happy Easter to those of you who celebrate Easter. You, It will be over by now. Passover right. will be just ending. So we hope that you uh, are having a great week. I went to the Walgreens yesterday for jelly beans. You braved a Walgreens for jelly beans. Well, I was kind of like, I guess I'll look for paper towels while I'm there. Yeah. That was good reasoning. Yeah. Right? I was like, oh, we need paper towels and jelly beans. <laughs> You're a jelly bean fan. You know Eric is a jelly bean fan, and I, um, I'm always sort of perplexed by that. But I brought them home. So I like a Starburst jelly bean because there's... Ooh, I like a Starburst. Yeah. Well, they're good, and they're, like, kind of... It doesn't have, like, the weird green and orange ones. Like, I don't know. Anyway, um... My husband was like, Starburst jelly beans. And I was literally like, look, for years, this is the kind of jelly bean I've been buying. So can we please not act like I just brought home? Oh, like this is what's happening. Quarantine has made everything suspect for husbands. I don't know if this is (laughs) happening to everybody else, but it's happening to me too. So I feel you, friend. Okay. Well, first of all, yes, I'm like panic buying weird stuff. (laughs) Like... I'm not panic buying anything helpful, but like I am one of those people and I know you're out there. I'm one of those people (laughs) who has planner envy, like people Mm. who look, who like use stickers and colored pens and they just look so together. Washi tape. I don't understand the tape situation. Like I don't understand why you would put tape on your paper. Kelly sent me, it's so cute. It has little daisies and I was like, that is cute. And I didn't know really what to do with it, but I have it now. Well, that's really sweet. And Kelly likes glitter. So she does. um, Aside, I'm told there are these glittery faded mate stickers and I have seen Neither hide nor hair of them. Oh, there was a printing error on them, but uh, I still think they're cool, and she can probably send us one. Yeah, I there. need one for my new laptop, Kelly. <gasps> um, there you go. So anyway, but 
that all aside, so I have planner envy. Anytime like Tracy Livesey or Nisha Sharma, Kate, Kate. Claiborne post picture. <laughs> I would never show mine. Like I would never show this to Kate, but cause she would just harshly judge me, I think for my poor penmanship, but the, um, no, yeah, these people are amazing and they post pictures to their Facebook pages or their Instagram pages or Twitter. And I'm just so jealous of planner people. And so yeah. every January I spend approximately $4,000 on new planner supplies. <laughs> use zero, use the planner for three to four days yeah. and then throw it like, then it ends up under a pile on my desk and that is that. And it lives there for the rest of the year. I, I buy a lot of pretty notebooks I don't use, yeah, but yeah. I've been using them. Seem, yeah. I mean, notebooks are all, are evergreen. Yes. So about a week ago I texted Nisha Sharma and I was like, I think I need a planner. Nisha was like, yes, you've come to the, you've come to the Oracle of planners. (laughs) So Nisha like asked me a bunch of questions that I didn't know the answers to. Like, what do, do I want them? Do I want it daily, weekly or monthly? Like, what am I going to use it for? Do I want it to, you know, plan my life? Do I want it to tell me what the right choices are? Um, and I was like, I I don't know, but I, I think I want that last one. And, um, (laughs) And so she recommended a planner, which I bought, and then I paid this the like extra five dollars for embossing. So it has Fun. my name on it. I'm gonna show you. <laughs> it's turquoise and it's very pretty. Sarah look at that on it. And it's look, Daisy. And it came with stickers. <laughs> okay, in a couple weeks when you're done with this, what we'll do next yes. year is we'll we'll make special faded mates planners. Oh well this and is, there'll yeah. just be three pages long. So you can <laughs> fill it up and then <laughs> And then you'll be done with Perfect. it. Perfect. Fade of Mates Planners by Sarah Jen. But I did think to myself, literally, this is so I'm going slightly like bonkers in quarantine because I literally was like going through this planner today, very compulsively putting people's birthdays into it. And then I was like, you know, for months, I'm definitely not going to remember anybody's birthday in October. I mean, October 23rd. I mean, that one. But other Just than write that, that one down now. <laughs> That's in it. It's in it. But I was literally like, you know what we should do? We should do Faded Mates planner stickers. So all of our Faded Mates planning people can put Faded Mates stickers on every Wednesday. See? There you go. And then I was like, Kelly should make these. (laughs) She will. I know. Now this is it. They're ordered. (laughs) Sure. I just, everyone, whenever I, I or Jen or really anyone else on Twitter says, we should make stickers of such and such, Kelly's like, done. Here they are. It's like a bat signal, only it's a sticker <laughs> she signal. It. She's like, she's just always attuned. Um, but anyway, yeah, we, and they should be like little circles or something that have like the little faded mates something on them. And then there you go. we can, you know, if you're a planner person, you can buy them and put them in or not buy them. You will send them to you with. I'm just like, whatever, give me a pencil, a pen. I don't care. But I've been doing a lot of like word puzzles and writing a lot of things. And so Kelly sent me some um, Blackwing pencils. (gasps) Those are my favorite pencils. I do have a pencil obsession. Uh, Me too now. And she sent me like a lot of different kinds. And like this one, like the whole thing where you can take the eraser out and make. Yeah. I mean, and you flip it over. It's amazing. Uh, Now I'm obsessed with pencils. Blackwings are fucking stunners. And here's my story about Blackwing pencils. Maybe we can get Faded Mates Blackwing pencils. Oh my god. I'm gonna take my planner budget and put it into 
put it in the Blackwing pencil <laughs> <Yes>. budget. <laughs> so, okay, here's the crazy thing. I was at um, I was at BEA last year, RIP BEA. I'm sad that you're not happening mm-hmm. this year. But I was at BEA last year with Kristen Dwyer, who is my fabulous friend and publicist. And we were walking the floor of BEA, and there was a little Blackwing booth and it was like, Ooh. oh, it couldn't have been more than like three feet wide. <laughs> it was tiny wee. And there was a guy there. And I went, oh, my God, Kristen, these are my favorite pencils. And she was like, wait, what? You have favorite pencils? And he was so delighted by my, like, <laughs> utter madness over these pencils that he gave me Blackwing pins. Oh. And I am going to send one to Kelly. To Kelly. There you go. Write it in your planner. I'm putting it in my planner. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, I don't know if I'm going to be using my planner next week, which is where I'm putting this. But, like, know that I thought of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's amazing. So, yeah, I feel like it's, I mean, that's it. We're all just doing new things. And it was funny. I was talking to a friend of ours who lives in California, and I was like, and he's like, well, you know, how's it going? We are talking, and I said, all I really spend money on is food and puzzles because <laughs> I'm really worried. I've discovered I love jigsaw puzzles. I'm worried I'm going to run out of them. Oh, did you read that story in the times about how like the uh, yes. jigsaw puzzle companies can't keep them in stock? I, I was like, yeah, cause I keep ordering them. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Um, I really am writing this down. Pin to Kelly. Here's my other problem is I really feel like all I do is look around my house and think, why is that here? But I'm afraid to get rid of things because maybe I'll need them. You probably won't, though. I know. Some Um, stuff. Yeah, seriously, you probably won't. Eric brought me a box the other day, and he was like, "Um, I found this box of stuff. Do you want to go through it? And I was like, have I touched this box in three years? He was like, no. I was like, throw it out. Like, I don't, whatever's in there can't possibly be valuable to me. Um, but so, but here's the problem. I don't know if you do this on your, and I don't know what your, I've never been to your house. So I don't know what your neighborhood's like, but our neighborhood in Brooklyn cities, people who live in cities kind of know this. Like there's like a constant cycling of junk. Yeah. (laughs) People will come. I put my junk on the street. You pick it up uh, six months later. My junk is your junk and it's out on the street again. Right. Yeah. The problem is, is that right now we have a backlog of junk in our house. <laughs> yeah. Ordinarily, like I literally have a giant carrier bag filled with books that I ordinarily would have put outside on the street on a nice morning and they would be gone within two hours. Sure. But nobody's picking anything up off the street right now. I, we have a little free library down the block and I put things in there and they, they go. Even um, now? Yeah. Even now. Because I just feel like people probably wipe them down and take them or whatever. Yeah. And I, but yeah, I think for me, the other problem is I had to go to my office and bring home eight weeks worth of teaching supplies, like Oof. books. Yeah. And there's nowhere for them. And so I'm just no. like. Well, because you can't go furniture shopping. Like you no. can't find a. No, I know, Although man. I'm five seconds away from ordering like shit on Wayfair. Like just give me a little you desk know, and yeah. I'll little shelf and I'll, but I, but then I'm going to be annoyed that I have it. What am I going to do with it? Then it's just more junk in my house. Well, then you're going to put it on the street and become someone else's junk. <laughs> yeah. There you it's go. Miracle of city living. <laughs> um, it was actually pretty funny. Cause we, we used to joke. We have, the, we had this neighbor for many, many years and every time we put anything outside, 
that was like furniture of any kind. He would just pick it up and take it into his house. And we were like, what is his house <laughs> like in there? Look like, like, how is he just filling his apartment, which is the same size as our apartment with all of our like jettisoned furniture. And, um, then they moved a couple of months ago and all of our furniture <laughs> returned to the sidewalk. Well, and it's pretty go. great. Like old friends. Okay. Old friends. <laughs> We still don't want you, though. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. So, yeah, the free cycling community in New York has got to be hurting, just like all the other communities. Anyway, how are you doing, though? You're you're good? Everybody's feeling well? Yeah, we're fine. Good. I'm tired of being in my house, but... Yeah, we're healthy, so I'm grateful for that, and my loved ones are healthy, but it is... um, Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to do my job. Yeah. This way. Yeah, well, teaching... You didn't get into it to teach this way. You got into it to yell at children right to their faces. (laughs) My secret's out. I don't know. That's what I imagine teachers get into it for. You know, I'm, you know, then I think I'm still lucky I have a job. There's, I just, it's hard. So yeah, it's just been, um, it's a strange time. So yeah, you guys, we're just so that, you know, Jen and I are thinking of you all the time. We're, we're yeah. thinking of you. We want you to check in with us on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, leave us voicemail messages and, you know, let us know how you're doing because we're thinking of you. And uh, we are here as long as you are here. So yeah. what are we doing today? We are reading Victoria Doll. Oh. Of course, I don't remember the title because what are titles? All it, talk, in my brain, it's talk me down, taking the heat, taking the heat. I was like cuddling escape. Is that the title? Cuddling I don't escape. Think so. Susan Elizabeth Phillips put our. <laughs> you guys. Whoa! First of all, stay for the end of this podcast because there's a like very exciting voicemail message at the end of this one. Oh god. Um, but the Susan Elizabeth Phillips put. Uh, a post on her Facebook page about Faded Mates. Thank you, Susan. If you're if you're an, a listener now, thank you. <laughs> um, that would be wild, and thank you. Um, but she and she linked to her to the Nobody's Baby But Mine episode. But she basically was like, "You might want to put earphones in if you're around <laughs> little ones, because these two can get pretty raunchy." And I was like. I feel like that should be the blurb of Faded Mates. Faded like, Mates, you can get pretty, pretty raunchy. raunchy. Susan Elizabeth Phillips. <laughs> yes. I mean, put it on a t-shirt. I don't know. I, I feel fine with that. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, funny. So, yeah. And this was a book that blooded you, Sarah. So It was. It was. So, okay, I'll tell my story. I have really liked Victoria's books for a long time. Um, I feel like she now, of course, in classic us fashion, I'm not going to remember any of the titles, but I feel like a, like a, I was introduced to her with, I think she wrote a book called flirting with disaster. That was like, you know, enemies to lovers, but like in a really like hot, intense way where the characters were all really beautifully, beautifully drawn. And I think that's, I think that Victoria writes contemporary romance that it, it just transcends what a contemporary, it, it showed me a whole new way of contemporary romance being. Um, and you know, what's really funny is as I was rereading it 
I was rereading Taking the Heat. I, I came to Taking the Heat, you know, right. I, I, she's one of my autobi authors. Like I've read all of her Victoria Dahl stuff. I've read her mm-hmm. Victoria Helen Stone stuff. Like there's, I think she's so talented. And so I'm, I downloaded Taking the Heat when, when it happened, like when it came out. And she had sort of prefaced, she had been talking about it on Twitter. We follow each other on Twitter. She'd been talking about Colonel Lingus Gabe and how she'd written this hero who like really loved going down on girls. And I was like, I really like men who really like to go down on girls. So I think that I'm going to be fine here. <laughs> yes. Um, heads up. You really should put in headphones if you're going to be listening to this with the little ones, because we're going to talk <laughs> a lot about a lot about all that. But what's interesting is, so I started reading it, and here's where I came to with this book. One, at the time, I remember feeling like I was reading a book that was really important. And what I mean by that is, I felt like I was reading a book that was showing um, the full scope of what a romance novel can be. In a way that's different, and this is why we've talked, this whole season we've talked about books that blooded us, and we've talked about so many books that we read when we were young, but I read this book as a grown woman, like, who had been reading and writing romance novels for a long time. And what this book really showed me was it was it was important in a different way. It wasn't important in the way that I feel like Priest was important because it sort of it did the thing related to Catholicism. It wasn't important in the way that I feel like Lord of Scoundrels did the thing and like transcended the genre. I feel like this was important because it showed that like modern contemporary romance that is both sexy and funny with like really authentic modern characters who could easily be your friends could also tackle things and say like, I can, romance can be all the things at once. Yeah. And I feel like it's not that for me, that was really transcendent for me. Like, I don't feel like there are a ton of contemporary romances. Like issue romances that almost, had yeah. been, That had existed before. I think this was my first time reading this. And I read, though, the series. So I, when I got my first Kindle, I think I really rediscovered romance, like a lot of people. Yeah. And I read the series that was like, talk me down start me up. Oh yeah. 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 Those, those were some of the first romances. And there was also a series by Aaron McCarthy. And I remember like kind of feeling that same way. Like I feel like these were the people like Victoria doll helped me rediscover this like contemporary romance, kind of the standalone contemporary romance in the sense that it wasn't like a category romance. Because of course I read Bet Me 10 years earlier, but then it was like 2009 probably. And, you know, in the intervening years I'd had a child and sort of stopped reading. And that's when I really kind of picked up and started reading again. And so that was like, and again, it felt like there were real issues involved. There were, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I had a similar experience, even though I had not read this book. It's hard. I want to sort of mine what we mean by this, like, issue piece, because on the surface, this book is very, it's common, right? Like, the tropes are all very, like, you, you, they're very, it's very tropey. It's the, you know, the boy, the, you know, the, um, city boy comes to a small Western town in Wyoming, Montana, 
don't know. Wyoming. Wyoming. Jackson. Um, Yeah. And, like, there's, like, that very small town feel. And, you know, the heroine's uh, an advice columnist who really is not in any position to be able to give relationship advice because she's never really been in a relationship, like, a, a solid relationship. She's never had sex, like, but she's giving sex advice. And I really love that trope, by the way. Like, the fake, the fake relationship advice columnist is, uh, like, that is an... That is one of those things that really makes me, gives me a lot of joy in the character. But, like, there's nothing about it on the surface that feels you know, transcendent. We should tell the plot to people like it. Why don't you do it? Okay. So, um, what happens in this book is we are heroine whose name is Veronica, um, is a, so she, it opens in Jackson, right? We know that she's sort of like not really happy with herself, but we can't really quite figure out why. Um, she is essentially about to go on stage to do a, like a live performance of her like advice column as sort of at a local bar. And it's the off season. Um, I guess I don't really understand skiing. So I assume that means summer. <laughs> and I was it, like a lot of this, I was like, blah, blah. Um, and she meets the new librarian in town. Mm-hmm. His name's Gabe. And he's been hired to help like modernize the library and bring it into the 20th century. Gentleman librarian. Bring in eBooks essentially, which is pretty funny. And, um, he is actually kind of put off by her. She's like drinking too much. She seems like a little, out there but he ends up like walking her home and on this walk home because she has pounded a bunch of drinks out of like sheer nerves she admits to him that she is a virgin and she's like 26 and he's like excuse me what and she is <laughs> kind of wakes up the next morning and remembers that she gets drunk and then it like all comes back to her and she's horrified because this has been like this big secret she's never really told anyone and now she is drunkenly confessed to this guy she thinks is really cute and kind of was like let's just do it and he was like i can't you're drunk and um he comes to check on her the next day and she's sort of horrified but they end up striking up like uh, they start dating right and it's very at the beginning you're right it sort of feels like a lot of books but at some point it really, I felt like it started to do something different. Yes. Yes, go on. There are a couple things for me in particular about character development. Mm -hmm. And one of them in particular was there's a part where Gabe reflects on a previous girlfriend. And this girlfriend had said to him, like, he essentially, like, didn't really want to break up with her because he was afraid to let her down. And when he finally does, she essentially, like, loses her temper and is like, you could have just told me, but you just always want to be the good guy. Yep. And he says, and it took him about a year, I think, for like, you know, essentially, you know, it took him about a year to sort of like realize that there was something to that. But we still see him making those same mistakes. And I thought that was really interesting to essentially have the author say, he knows what his problem is and he's made progress on it but it's still a big part of who he is. Mm -hmm. And I ended up really like, that's when I kind of like sat up and thought, Oh, like we have a character on a real growth arc. Yes. Because here's where I was at. I think I started to say this earlier and I didn't, I got all over the place, but on the reread, 
Having had our big conversations about alphas and cinnamon rolls and having you and I having had so many conversations about what's happening in in contemporaries right now, this hero feels like what a cinnamon roll should be. Yeah. Right? Because he's got all of the pieces of it, right? Like he's kind and like a really decent dude who cares about her and like wants her, like checks in on her and like won't Mm -hmm. fuck her because she's drunk and like has all of the, all of the pieces that make him just like a stand up decent guy. Plus all the other pieces, right? Like he's a librarian and he cares about children and cares, like he cares about this community. And like, he's deeply, like he feels deeply connected, like loyal, is it loyal? I don't know. Like he feels like he has, like his family is a burden for him, but like he has a lot of like responsibility, sure, like a yeah. sense of responsibility and loyalty to his family. Like he's such a good dude. But instead of just being like archetypal cookie cutter, cinnamon roll, good dude set down in a romance novel, what Victoria is doing here is really like digging deep on why this guy isn't perfect either. Yes. And like her, that is one thing that she does so beautifully with all of her books. Like every one of her character, her characters have really beautiful imperfections, like that are really deep rooted. And so when they end up in love, you sort of feel like, of course, Eric and I talk all the time about everybody has that friend, that couple friend who you'd be like, and your, your, your thought about them is literally no one, but the, the other could end up with this person. Like this is like, they're both so completely like unmatchable. (laughs) It's sort of remarkable that they found each other. And in, Victoria Dahl's world, it feels like so many of her heroes and heroines are that couple who, like, they're imperfect as separate entities. And then when they are paired, there is a perfection to the pairing. And, but it's also, like, there's nothing flat about it. I mean, I'm I'm going to tell you, I... I understand we're like in a world right now, but I'm not one to really cry at romance novels, but there's a part where he loves rock climbing. That's why he's in Jackson and he convinces her to go rock climbing. And, and, you know, I don't like outside. So this is not like my (laughs) plot, you guys, but you know, they go climbing and there's this part where she like essentially like makes it and she like flops over on the top of this rock. And she's so proud of herself. And I, I, Teared up. It's a great scene. Because it was so real. And it was so like, I don't know. And I I mean, it's like I was thinking about this. I was like, this must be a really hard book to read if you're a writer. Because there is real character work happening. On every page. On every page. And nothing feels like it comes easy. And we see people fighting through their fear and fighting to get better and fighting to be together. And also, like... So, yeah, I mean, I think that's the part that was really interesting is Gabe is a good guy, but he is not, like, just, like, kind of flatly perfect. And I don't think that's what people want when they want cinnamon rolls, but he is so nuanced as a character. And she is, too. I feel like when you're reading this book, you're... It's like watching a a painter. Like, it's like... It's... It's like reading a watercolor, right? Like you're looking at all of the, there's so much really detailed skill. 
that's happening in every on every level. There's so much skill in the plot, in the side characters, in the characterization of the main characters, in the romance, in the sex. Like all of it is so beautifully done. And so what you end up doing is you're sort of by the end, you like, and it's all different, you know, colors and brush strokes. And at the end, when you step back, you see this real masterpiece, but every, every small piece feels just delicate. Like it's so delicate. It's so finely wrought this book. A plot I don't actually really enjoy that much is sort of big city to small town. I want to talk about that because it is a real problem plot for me, too. And yet this did not feel well, because you know what? It just transcends that as a trope, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes tropes are just and again, this is like no judgment. Sometimes the trope just is the engine and you need it to like be set up a certain way. But there's again, so much nuance here. Like she went away to the big city. It was her dream. And, you know, and it's like she had to really face. I don't like it. (laughs) Right. And I found that all. And he he loves it. He loves his family there. And it's just not where he wants to be. And I found myself thinking, I can't believe this is working for me. It's so well done. Too often, this trope is too heavy handed. Too often, this trope is I failed in the city. Yes. I have been or I have been summoned back to the small Mm -hmm. town or um, I am, you know, there's some sort of. There's trans the transport from city to small town is under duress. And so it feels like when that happens, particularly when that happens with a heroine. And I think that's a really smart this is a very smart move on Victoria's part to write this this exact trope with a hero who's like having this city push pull. Because this, this, uh, particularly when this happens with the heroine, it feels like the heroine is being asked to give up her dreams to return to her home, right? To hometown. And for somebody, look, that works for a lot of people. Like, I, I get the appeal of like returning home to like the prom king who embarrassed you at, you know, every turn and now you're in love. Like, I, I get that and I feel it. You know, but often that feels for me as somebody who did leave a small town and like did end up in a city and like would hate returning home. It feels to me like you're asking too much of the heroine, right? You're taking too much from her. But in this case, that's not what's going on. Like this is two people who actually don't want to be in cities. It's never that the city is totally vilified and it's never that the small town is totally valorized. There's this sense that both of them realize, like, it's just not the right place for me, not like this place is, like, pure evil or whatever. Well, and the bullying, like, the sort of bullying subplot, kind of, again, it's so finely done. Um, The bullying subplot kind of underscores that because there's that sort of feel that, like, the small town idol isn't actually idol. Mm -hmm. Small towns are not idyllic either, and look at what they... What look at everywhere you go has um, trauma. I love that bullying subplot so much. I really, really do. But I'm I'm interested in having you talk about it because obviously you know more about the you know age and the like what bullying really is like. 
So we know that she's an advice columnist, but it's really interesting because it's not really a narrative device until probably midway through the book. And so what happens is we get a couple of letters on like various topics really for the first time. And it was kind of interesting because at first I thought, oh, is this just going to be like weird filler? (laughs) But it wasn't at all, right? It was doing a lot of character work on her part. And what we, one of the things we're kind of vaguely aware of is that she, one of the reasons she wanted to leave and go to New York is she just wasn't happy there as a kid. She's not really close to her father. But as time goes on, we sort of get this information that For while she was in high school, her dad had remarried a woman from Los Angeles. She and her son, who is about her age or a year older, moved to Wyoming. You know, they this wife and son, her stepbrother, moved to Wyoming, and um, the stepbrothers, Jason, was terrible to her like tortured, not tortured her in the sense that he actually physically assaulted her, but like made her life miserable, made her pariah in the town, made her feel unsafe in her home. You know, like near the end, you know, he like would take pictures of her underwear. I mean, like really, like really, truly terrible stuff. And she had just sort of like felt like such a nobody. So she gets a letter from a dummy email address, essentially from a suicidal teenager. Mm -hmm. And she valiantly springs into action, right? Like sort of all along she'd been sort of, and it's what's really interesting is there's this kind of throwaway line that was like, she knew that she'd been dreading this, like this sense that she knew that sooner or later someone would write in. This was the job. Right. With a, with a problem so profound that she knew it would be more than just like, I'm going to give you advice about your cheating husband or whatever. And, um, she really does everything she can to get help for this, this child. And I felt the kid themselves like never appears, which I thought was really wise. Yeah. Um, it's not like she like saves him personally. It's more like she utilizes the resources at her disposal. Yeah. And because it's Wyoming and because it's a small town and, you know, presumably there's like this sense that she feels like, you know, she's not like sicking the cops on somebody who is gonna, you know, she like goes through the cops first. Can we track down the IP address? She goes to a therapist. Is my advice good advice? And you know, I, I did. I found myself thinking, like, kids, people with suicidal ideation reach out in a lot of ways, and very few of us are actually trained to know what to do. Mm-hmm. And it was clear at this moment that she was like, I have to do something. And it was, I thought, I thought it was just really, I don't know, it was, it was, it was I really, I, I don't want to say I liked it because I don't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I did think that it was a like a real, I don't know, I thought anyone reading this would think, oh, God, if this ever happens to me, I should take it that seriously. Yeah. And I think this is where this piece of the book feels so thought, thoughtful. It feels so thought out. Um, and it feels so important. Like, it feels like it really is doing a thing. And it's doing a thing alongside this, like, tremendously sexy, really delicious romance. 
And, and that's what I like. I hold this book up as a real, a real example of what a romance can be. Like I would hand, yeah. I would hand this romance to anybody who sort of said to me, uh, I don't know about romance. Like I'm fine with sex, but like, I don't know. They seem a little cheesy. I, I would say if you like women's fiction and are fine with sex, like you should read this book. Well, and I think that that's the thing too about both of them, right? We talked about like sort of Gabe's journey is to like really be okay with like not being the nice guy and like owning his own, like what he wants for himself to not be essentially like a martyr. She goes on a journey too. And it's like just coming back from New York. You know, there's this thing I say a lot is I've moved around a lot in my life. And um, one of the things I say to people, I don't, is like, you know, who are kind of like, well, maybe if I just move (laughs) and I say this thing where I'm like, you know, anywhere you go, you take yourself with you. Yeah. Your demons (laughs) follow you. Right. You can't moving someplace new doesn't really change anything unless the place you're in is the problem. And I, and I know, cause I've been in a place where the place was the problem and we left and a lot of things got better, but, um, she has to really figure out these high school demons that have plagued her. And really what it is, is it's reconciling, not reconciling, but like confronting her father. Right. And saying like, you didn't protect me. Uh And he sort of like plays it off. Like, you know, I grew up in these tough times and she basically at one point is like, Jason called me an ugly cunt. And you were there and you didn't do anything about it. Uh, And it's like, really, it takes a long time for we as readers to even see how extensive and really traumatic this bullying was. uh And I think that that's also really well done, like the sort of slow way in which she trusts Gabe and also she trusts us as readers essentially, right? Like to like kind of slowly reveal like this just wasn't like he was mean to me. Well, that's why there's such power in the scenes where Veronica harnesses her, sort of acknowledges her own power, which is, I want to talk about sex because, I mean, I want to talk about sex always. It's so good in this book. One of my favorite, favorite moments in all of romance is the post-blowjob POV switch um, to Veronica. Veronica, like a chapter, there's a new chapter that starts and she has just given what I think is, and this is, this is big, you guys. (laughs) I think this might be the best blowjob in romance. It's yeah. And (laughs) like ever written that I can't, I'm hard pressed to think of another that is this good. There's that one with, um, in that Elizabeth Hoyt book with winter makepiece, (laughs) but that's it. Yeah. That's the other one. All right. Fine. I mean, I'm happy for you that you feel that way. So, (laughs) I mean, I love Elizabeth Hoyt. That's not, that's not shade to Elizabeth Hoyt, but it's like, no, no, this romance novel, uh, the blowjob in this book is truly fantastic. All of, all of the sex. I mean, all of the sex is great. It's great. But like they're like, she has learned, right? She, so they've, so they've, they're having, they're having not sex, right? They're having like sexual. Well, he made her come for the first time, right? So she's basically like, I've never, 
you know, you know, I've used toys, but like I've never had an orgasm. And he's like, "Well, I got you." <laughs> and then he don't worry. He like superhero like spins around and he transforms into Cuddling Escape. Like he makes her come and it's great. And then he, and then she's like, I don't even want to have sex. And he's like, no, like, this is, I, yeah, he's very noble, good guy. And she's like, but I want you to come. And he's like, well, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say no to that. Then, right. And so she's like, but she's, nervous like she's given yeah. like she's done this before but like she doesn't think she's very good at it like her insecurities from life are just in all corners of herself and like mm-hmm. i in on the reread this week i was like god this feels so real like you're so insecure when you are yeah when you are when you spend your childhood being told that you are imperfect all the time like you feel imperfect all the time. All the time, yeah. And, like, this is real. And I know that there's a lot of discussion in romance right now about, like, how we don't like to see heroines who, like, have, who are, who are, have, who are riddled with self-doubt or, like, feel imperfect. But, like, fuck, I feel imperfect all the time. <laughs> and so, um, so, like, there's something really wonderful about this because, so he, they, so they've just had this, like, she's had this great orgasm and then she's like, I want you to show me, like, I want you to, to yeah. tell me what teach you me. like, teach me what you like, teach oh, me how to do hot. this in a, like, really powerful way. And he's like, mm, okay. <laughs> so, and then and he talks her through it and everybody knows that I really love a dirty talker so it works great for me but I really think that what's happening but what Victoria is doing in every sentence of this blowjob is enhancing Veronica's power like mm-hmm. she is putting she is stitching Veronica back together in terms of like in terms of repairing her self-doubt and then it ends new chapter and the first line of the chapter is her thinking to herself I am a sex goddess and it is so delightful because you're like yeah you are get it We want anyone listening to have like a sex life that brings them like, I want you great all joy to and feel, to feel that way, right? I want every yes. listener to be like, I'm the sex goddess or God or right. whatever. Or whatever. Like, right. You, and name your and pleasure. That's it. Yeah. And that's it. And I think that there's this real sense of like how delighted she is oh, to like perfect she had a she had so much fun it felt so great she can't wait to do it again and and he's like you seem good and she's like (laughs) i feel powerful like Mm -hmm. she articulates it like she can yeah she can feel it in her and i just fucking love it and it feels like this is another example of like a book where the sex matters like people talk all the time about like oh 
romance? Isn't it just porn for women? Like what, right. you know, like just the sex, you can just like lift it all out. And like, it's just the same book in this book. If you lift the, if you lifted this right. blowjob out, you, she would be a totally different character. They then have sex later in the book where she doesn't come. Mm -hmm. And she's kind of like, well, okay. I mean, it's all right. It was still fun and I still had a good time. And he, like, basically discards the condiment and comes back in for cuddling this game time. And it's this moment where she realizes, like, oh, he's he's going to take care of me. Like, I don't have to just suffer in silence. Mm -hmm. This is something that, you know, and then by the end, it's like her, she's like super into it. Right. Like now this is something she's like, yeah, I need this and I want this. And well, Victoria's always very thoughtful about that too. In several of her books, she has like heroines who can't come vaginally. Yeah. Right. She's really thoughtful about making sure that like women's sexuality and like the, the sexuality of the female, parts the female body mm-hmm. are are really like the 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 all of our like quirks and foibles and like this mythology the romance novel mythology of like oh well you can all come vaginally you just need the right, right. cock like Victoria has none like is not none is that. not here yeah. for any of that and like that's part of why Gabe is such a great character because he's like gonna make you big gonna make you spend your leg gonna I got you. Like, yeah. Right. Sit on my face. It's great. I mean, and that's the thing. I just was like, oh, God. I mean, it was so... Yeah, like, when we say... Right, like the sex should develop the relationship. Like as we see the intimacy between them develop, we should see that happening in their sexual relationship mm-hmm. too. This is a book that just does that masterfully. And it's especially and I I think we see it like every single time they have sex, it's like about who they are in their relationship at that point, right? Mm-hmm. The risks that they've taken, their idea that they're like gonna be saying goodbye or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, because, you know, it, and I just was really, I really loved it. I mean, I was just like, wow, this book is doing a lot of really interesting work. And maybe none of it is like revolutionary, but it kind of is. Yeah. But I think it's like part of me is now at the point where I'm like, a perfect book is perfect. Yeah. There are so many things about this book. As I was reading this time, I was like, there are so many things about this book that Jen and I should not like. Mm. On paper, this is not a book that you and I would ever gravitate to. No. Right. Oh, no. Like cinnamon roll hero in a small town. Sure. Like with a lot of like random people just sort of like tooling around, (laughs) you know, the like traumatic, like bullying subplot, like a lot of this is just not like itch scratchy for us, but it is, you're right. A perfect book is perfect. That should be the show title. Like this is (laughs) because it's not just, I mean, like this is a really like technically masterful book, but it's not just this book. It's proof. I mean, I feel like this whole season, that should be the title of the whole, the entirety of season two. Right. Because I feel like these books, you know, we talk so much on this podcast about like, what is she trying to do when she sits down to write? Like, what is the goal of this book? And like, does it achieve it? And in this particular case, I just think Victoria, she just sets herself apart from so many other writers. 
when you have a character on an emotional journey, like Veronica, um, there's always this question of like catharsis. Like when is that journey going to feel done? And, and I think in, I think a lot of people would have like sort of been like, okay, she confronts her father and that's enough. And it really isn't enough because at the end, when Gabe is like, you're going to come to New York and you know, like I'm going to take over my family's restaurant business and she's like, no, I'm I'm not going to do that. I, I can't be the person who watches you do this to yourself. And I think that that is the, I, I think pushing through to like, yeah, confronting my dad was important, but dealing with my past was something I had to do, living my future with like dignity and sort of according to the way I think it should be, right? That's mm-hmm. that's the the journey she's on. And I think that that's sometimes a mis- not a mistake, but like sometimes I feel like, you know, people think like, oh, going back and like fixing my past will be enough. Right. But it's not. No. That's the that's just a step to my future is it's different. Getting you to ground zero. And then you yes. have to keep moving. And then you have to keep moving. There's yeah. this great moment. You know, the other thing that I want to talk about the end. So I don't know. Skip ahead two minutes if you don't want to know about the end. Yeah. Um, so because I want to talk about Gabe returning mm-hmm. and like his grand gesture moment. So mm-hmm. we we end the way we begin with with uh, Veronica giving a show. Right. Her dad has come to it. She's had like this kind of moment with her dad. Um, you know, he's he's sort of, you know, her dad about it. And then he's not he doesn't come. He offers to come. And she's like, there's like a moment where he's like, I suppose that you want me to come to this thing. Yes. But it's going it, to in Susan Elizabeth parlance, it's going to be raunchy. <laughs> and I don't want to. <laughs> God. <laughs> so anyway, so we, um, so fine. She's doing the thing. And then like somebody it's, it's a grand gesture, right? Like somebody, yeah. he sends his buddy to her with a question that's in an, a note form. And she reads the question out loud. And the question is basically like, will you, you know, take me back if I move back to Wyoming? And of course, like for a lot of romance writers, this would be like a really emotional reunion moment, right? Where she would be yeah. like, yes, and they would kiss and everyone would applaud and like it would be this magnificent like thing. And but Victoria's so grown up, right? Like there's something, yeah, I don't write this way. I'm not grown up. I am like at my core, <laughs> I'm like a 17-year-old, like hot with <laughs> hormones, and like that's it. Like it has to be, it's everyone's applauding or nothing, right? <laughs> Victoria writes a book again, so fine, like so finely painted because Veronica says, um, he says like, would he, would she give him another chance? Like, would, like, can, can you give me another chance? And she looks at him and she says, no, she says, I suppose that we would need to talk. And like, you're sort of like, oh, but at the same time, of course you would like, of course you would. You don't know what's happening. Like, right. what does that even in mean? In real right. life, you need to talk. And it's one yeah. of those, again, just talking about, like, every book that we've picked over this season has been a book that's taught us, like, how romance can be. 
And for me, like this book feels grown up because it feels like it's very authentically a modern romance where like, yeah, I'm sorry, but they can't just like kiss in Grand Central or the way that it's not like Crocodile Dundee, you know, the ending of Crocodile Dundee where they <laughs> yes. shout across all the people. That's one of my favorite. I once I've tried to write that scene as like a grand gesture, like end moment in books before. And it's almost, it's impossible to write. <laughs> I would imagine. But I love that scene so much. Anyway, but the point is that scene doesn't exist in this book either. Like it's right. It's really nice. When I read romance, it's about feelings, right? Like I just, it's all about feelings. It's all, it's really important to me. Yeah. And I feel like the other thing I really appreciate in this in this book is that Victoria Dahl really leans into Veronica's feelings sometimes being confusing or overwhelming yeah. or we never think she's overreacting we and I really feel like there's times when I mean you know like sort of Gabe leaves to go back to New York and is kind of like I don't know if I'm coming back right like my dad might this might be it and she freaks out and she's really upset and she's trying to tell herself it doesn't matter we've only been dating a couple of weeks and those were scenes where I was really moved at how you know, our f- feelings are not linear, no. right? Feelings are not just like predictably marching along in a path where you, you know, everything makes sense. And I feel like it, I was so really impressed by the way Veronica was allowed to feel how she felt. Yeah. And allowed to stand for herself. Again, it's one of those situations where it's tricky. It could easily have been a situation where she was like, let me come with you. Yes, I'll come with you. I mean, Victoria really said it. It's kind of a mystery, right? Because she's really set it up where, you know, Veronica's been in New York City. It's not like she, like Country Bumpkin, lifted up and sat down in the city. Like she would be able to make a go of it. She has a job that transfers. Like there's literally nothing that she can't do in New York, but she doesn't want to live there. That's not the, that's not the best version of herself. I, Honestly, for like really through the last 20% of the book, did not know how it was going to turn out. Yeah, which is real nice, right? It is nice, right? You're like, how? It's my favorite about romances. It is, right? Where, like, and don't get me wrong, sometimes I'm just like, I see this is all going to work out and that's great. And I know it's all going to work out and that's great. But I really didn't know how. Yeah. Right. How is this going to work? I talk about this all the time when I do uh, sessions with writers, when I teach writing romance, because the hardest part of writing romance is convincing your reader that it might not work out when like every other romance novel they've ever read has worked out. So like they they know cognitively, they know intellectually, they're like, oh, this is going to work out. But emotionally, they have to feel like it might not. And that's not easy. And I think it's because it's very clear to us that Veronica and Gabe don't know how it's going to work out. No. And that they so deeply respect each other. He doesn't believe that it'll work out because in his head, he's like, she doesn't want this version of me. Like, she doesn't want this life for herself. And, and that's, 
powerful. Like the, it is a powerful moment when a hero says, I am not enough for this heroine. Like the happiest I can make her is still not enough. And I think too often when we look at romance novels, we say to ourselves, this is where we get into that sticky place where, where readers say things like, oh, she doesn't deserve him. You know, she wants, she wants too much. Like he should be enough. And the reality is, is that if you want true, deep, abiding respect in your relationship, your partner has to understand that they are not enough on their own. You need other things to make you happy. I really loved it. Yeah, I did. I thought it was really I'm so glad. Wonderful. I'm so glad. I'm glad we picked it. I am going to go back and read about the uh, her friends. <laughs> I, lo- I will say, I know a lot of people are really committed to reading in order, but to me, the greatest delight in romance is when you, like, start with book three. Yeah. And then you're like, woohoo, not only do book one and two exist. <laughs> and you have that with Waking Up with the Duke, too. You have a whole yeah. Lorraine Heath family, too, to go oh, through. There was some sort of, like, download all three books for, like, $8 nice or whatever. Work. They're on my Kindle. <laughs> you know, don't get me wrong. I I will read, obviously, in order, but this is this is always, like, a pretty good situation yeah, for me. Yeah, like, sure. Whoa. When you find a new writer who, like, I mean, she's not new for you, but you found a new series, and that is a gift. Well, here's the other thing, and I'm sure you have this too. When you've been reading romance as long as we have, there are writers you love that, for whatever reason, drop off your radar. Yeah. I mean, and maybe it's just because you missed a couple new releases. You, I mean, who knows? And so for me, this is also one of those things where I'm like, oh man, like it's like rediscovering. I mean, I don't know, like you find a book on your Kindle you forgot you loved, right? That's what happens essentially now. So it's pretty perfect. Very perfect. I think that's enough. I think that's good. I do too. I think we did it. We, we did the thing. I we did it. Um, I have some things. I have some housekeeping I'd like to do. Okay, please do the housekeeping. <laughs> Eric has requested. Um, so, okay, you guys, we, this is going to get a little techy, but we use something called Forecast to publish our podcast. Um, and that's how we get the great chapters and the chapter images and all the show notes, everything that looks so great when you're looking at your podcasting uh, software, when you're looking at your app and you see all of Jen's like incredibly hard work with images and stuff, that's all possible because of an app called Forecast, um, which is made free to podcast producers. But we are in a pandemic mm-hmm. and um, Forecast is actually made by Marco Arment, who... Um, uh, makes Overcast, which is our favorite podcasting app here um, in Brooklyn at Shea McLean. And if you could, if you are interested in, if you if you listen to us on the web, but you want to use an app or you don't love your app or you want to use a different app um, and you want to try Overcast, please try Overcast. We're just trying to throw Marco some love because uh, he's doing a whole lot of work for podcasting. Also, Overcast is the reason why 
Uh, you are seeing so much cool stuff on the website, which you should go to fadedmates.net. I know a lot of you are asking for more content while we're all stuck at home. Um, there's tons of content on the website. The Spotify playlist is there under music. Also under music, you can click. Eric's built this like video player, which has the music videos of all the music that is has ever played in uh, Fadedmates. So amazing. It's bonkers. Yeah. Um, you can find show notes. You can find trends transcripts of a lot of our episodes, which more, we're we'll working be, on them. We're, yeah. we're working on right now. There are transcripts for many of our most popular episodes. Also, importantly, if you have recently joined us and are thinking about like, what should I listen to? What should I read? Um, have you read Immortals After Dark by Cressley Cole? <laughs> our entire first season is a read along podcast for Immortals After Dark. I know you guys who don't read Paranormals. I know what you're thinking, but I didn't read Paranormals either. And then I made a podcast about the series. <laughs> so now is the time. Time for paranormals, man. Now Ooh. is the time. As always, you can send us a voicemail message. We love your voicemail messages so much. Jen and I, like, we're tearing up last week oh, um, yes. listening to them. They are really a pure gift to us um, during this crazy time. You can call us and tell us about a book that blooded you at 646-450-3766, or you can just call us and tell us that you love us. Um, I have a book coming out. On June 30th, it's called Daring and the Duke. If you feel so inclined, it would be awesome if you would pre-order that book um, at a bookseller near you. Shout out to indie bookstores right now who are closed because of pandemic, but open and shipping books around the country. A lot of them are shipping free, including my hometown bookstore, which is Word in Brooklyn. We will put links to all of this in show notes. Yeah. I apologize for yammering my housekeeping at you, but that's where we are. It was all worth it, Sarah. <laughs> What are we reading next? I forget. Oh my god, you guys, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. not over. Eric's gonna Tell be like, me. Jesus Christ, I started the music already. My mom calls me yesterday. She's like, I can't get into anything. I read this silly book yesterday. My mom, FYI, <laughs> is a Hemingway scholar. <laughs> so, you know, and I said, Mom, what silly book did you read? She's like, I, I tore through it. I mean, it was just silly. And I was like, well, that sounds like a good book. What was it? <laughs> yeah, right. And she said, uh, well, it was by this woman, Sandra Brown. And I was like, yeah, I've heard of <laughs> <Yeah>. her. <laughs> Just a couple of times. Let's read a Sandra Brown so book. Can we, but I think this might be big time problematic. But like you know, oh. Texas Chase is my like yeah, yeah, Sandy right, Brown. Sure. Like put it in my veins. I have a feeling it's gonna be a lot. I think as long as we here's what we're gonna do, everybody. We're gonna read Texas Chase next <laughs> by Sandra Brown. But what we will do at the beginning of that episode, you guys, it's Texas exclamation point Chase. I, I totally read these fucking books. It's gonna be a journey. Um, we will. I will try and read it fast, and maybe we'll put some content warnings out yeah. there if we feel like they're necessary. Yeah. But yeah, anytime you're diving back into the archives with us, just remember, yeah. like you gotta. But if you want a book that really truly like whew, blooded me texas exclamation point chase is it we're gonna talk about sandra brown oh, at sandra life. brown god there were so many good books all right it's gonna be like freewheeling sandra brown jen and sarah sandra brown so just okay 
read a Sandra Brown. Read an old Sandra Brown and we'll just come to it together. It'll be great. I have some of them still in the, um, you know. Yeah. Well, remember also before she was Sandra Brown, she was Erin St. Clair. Right in those silhouettes. I have the first one I ever read by her. Come find us on Twitter. We're going to do, you know what we'll do? We'll tap Steve Ammon down. Yes. Steve, we're coming for you. (laughs) It's a pandemic. It's all hands on deck. Yep. We're gonna cut, we're gonna tap Steve and like we'll put together like a reading list. Like here are some crazy yes. books by Sandra Brown for you to read. But we promise that it's gonna be delightful. It's gonna be bonkers. This is gonna be great. Yeah, I love this idea. <laughs> so anyway, and my mom just just now heard of this new young. <laughs> Really, li- but read it in a day. I might add one of the new thriller. So my mom, yes, she if you're thriller readers or you have a mom who's a thriller reader, my mom, thumbs two thumbs up on this silly thriller by this woman, Sandra Brown. <laughs> she, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, can you imagine if you like went to a movie buff? You're like, I watched this movie. It's great. Either the director is like Martin Scorsese. Like, what the fuck? Like, that's basically what just happened. Okay. Oh, I love you, mom. Hey, Sarah and Jen, it's Susan Elizabeth Phillips calling. I just finished listening to your fantastic podcast, which I would have enjoyed even if you weren't talking about nobody's baby but mine. Uh, I, I appreciate so much what you said about that book. You have swollen my ego to the point where I know Mr. Bill's not going to be able to even be in the same room with me. Thank you so much. And just a big thank you to my readers who will follow me through the, the Chicago Stars books, the Wynette Texas books, but will also let me have my fun with the standalones. I, I think romance readers are the best, aren't they? And so are the two of you. Thanks. Bye-bye.